Hello and welcome to The Book Album, your place for everything related to reading and language. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gentz. Now, bookmark that book and let's begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Hallo und herzlich willkommen zu unserem Podcast. Ich freue mich. Thank you all for being here. Today we are talking about Verity by Colleen Hoover. Quick personal update to start. I started grad school here in Munich today and I am so excited and so grateful to be starting such an intensive yet enervating study course and I can only look ahead. I look behind too sometimes, but I can only look ahead at the wondrous knowledge that <laughs> will belie me. Um, so here I am in Munich recording this. So excited to be back to normal podcasting or fast, fast normal, almost normal podcasting. Um, as we continue our horrifying classics series in 2022 with Verity by Colleen Hoover. Now, Verity was a book that I found on a quick Google search, honestly, for psychological thrillers. This book came out about seven or eight years ago, if my memory serves me correctly. Uh, so this is not by any means sort of the typical run-of-the-mill horrifying classics book. It's not super old. It's not super hot off the presses. Um, Gesichter by Tove Ditlevsen, I think. Maybe they're like a Swedish or a Nordic writer <laughs> that often it's very, uh, their writing is very popular in Germany. Um, but that book is hot off the presses. So if you're looking for some contemporary literature, don't worry, come back next in the next two weeks here and we will deliver that for you. Verity is, however, a riveting read, and I think one of the attestations to how good it is is the fact that it came up first book in psychological thriller, at least here in Germany. That definitely serves us for a conversation about genre. Is this book thriller or horror? I would wager from our def definition last time, which was that, for me, horror gets your pace up after you're done reading the book. The horror element doesn't leave you after you're done reading, after you put the book away, after you finish the book, whatever. A thriller gets your pulse up when you're reading the book. And I think that this book is both thriller and horror. This book was horrifying to me during and after the read. I would say this is a very good book to read if you are at all interested in the horror genre or the thriller genre. One of my favorite things about it, which we'll talk about near the end of the podcast, is that there's a, it's a very self-aware book, so there's writing within the writing. There's this manuscript that one of the characters discovers, and the manuscript is quoted directly within a lot of the text. So as you're going on with the first frame, the outer frame, so to speak, then there's also an inner frame, and the inner frame is the most horrifying part, 
And then at the end of the book, there will be spoilers in this episode, just so you know. I'll let you know when they are. At the end of the book, the inner and outer frames connect in a very twisted way. And that's something that I really enjoyed about this book, is that it's the kind of book that sets itself up really well for something like a plot twist at the end, and Colleen Hoover definitely delivers on that front. I think there's a lot of about this book, which we will talk about, that's very obvious. There is uh, some romantic elements that are pretty obvious again, um, but there are some twists that are just so gruesome in the end. Pacing. This book overall, and I will put a disclaimer here, I have read the audiobook of this book. I would love to read the book book version, but I read the audiobook. Uh, and I read the audiobook at about 1.3, 1.4 speed. That's typically what I prefer for a book of this length. Um, books like Stephen King's It, for example, or 112263, as we'll see, I will read at a much faster uh, reading pace from the audiobook. Um, but this one I read about 1.3 speed, so I would say pretty normal speed, and from my digestion of the audiobook, I would consider this a slow pace for a narration. Um, and I'm not talking about the actual talking speed of the narrator, I'm talking about how the writing is paced. So I'm, I'm gonna say that there's slow pacing but it works well for this story. It's very deliberately slow. Colleen Hoover adds a lot of suspense. Um, there's little tiny things that go wrong in the narrative, but it's not something that is, oh, there's a thing going wrong, and then all of a sudden there's a lot of compounding, and the pacing gets really fast, and a lot of things start moving all the time. No, it's not that way. There's just this beautiful, slow, ambling pace, and there's this kind of terror that's built in every once in a while. Um, there's a lot of feeling like, you know, the character is susceptible to being spooked or, you know, she gets very paranoid in the text, which I think really matches this slow pace well that Colleen Hoover has built in. Around the two-thirds point of the novel, the pacing starts to increase in speed. Um, and there's sort of this sense, as I mentioned before, that the reader knows what's going to happen. The reader knows and suspects certain things about their narration, about the characters. Uh, and there's this kind of sense that the book is coming to a conclusion, which I think in some ways, ambulance, in some ways gets in the way or maybe even deliberately masks the big surprise at the end. Let's talk about what happens in this book. Let's talk about the text. <laughs> There is a young writer named Lowen. Lowen has a couple of books. She has kind of a cult following, perhaps. She's not a very outward writer or an outward person. She ends up 
going to a meeting at the publishing house. She has had the most horrendous time, it seems. She's living in New York. She's uh, She has been taking care of her dying mother, who's just died, leaving her nothing. She's about to get evicted from her apartment. Uh, this does sound like the uh, beginning <laughs> to another book that we reviewed for Horrifying Classics last year, I know. Um, <laughs> but she is going to a meeting and someone, a pedestrian, gets murdered on the way while she's walking. So it's kind of this gruesome first scene in the book where a pedestrian is on his phone and doesn't see a car and gets hit, run over. Lowen gets blood spattered everywhere. She's heading to an important meeting with her publisher and a man kind of takes her off the street and says, hey, look, here's my shirt. You know, let me like <laughs> clean you up a little bit. And that man happens to be a man named Jeremy Crawford. Uh, they meet again when she shows up to her meeting and the publisher is offering her a boatload of money to do, which she eventually negotiates even higher, to finish out a three book, uh, finish out a series that has three books left in it. I think it's like seven or eight books. It's kind of like the Harry Potter series, but the big thing about this series, other than that, it's a blockbuster hit and that the author behind it cannot finish the series for mysterious and unexplainable quote-unquote reasons. Um, the books are written from the villain's perspective. So it's kind of this odd take on the fantasy genre or, you know, a thriller genre. They're written from the villain's perspective, and this author is astoundingly good at writing from the villain's perspective. So, Lowen, though she does not um, like the taste of this, takes the contract and is invited to, you guessed it, Jeremy's house because it's his wife. It's his wife um, who is the author of the series and who got in a mysterious car accident um, in the months prior and can no longer fulfill the rest of the contract herself. We start to see the very underpinnings of tragedy in this story early on. Jeremy has also lost his two twin daughters in two separate accidents. Um, one, his first daughter who died had an allergic reaction. They had no idea um, sort of what, how, how she uh, got exposed to the peanut allergy that she had, other than that she had gotten some snacks late at night, maybe didn't see it that there was peanuts. And then the other daughter uh, drowns in the body of water behind the house where the family lives. And there's one small boy around the age of five left um, in the family. So it's him and uh, the mother who is supposedly paralyzed and she basically needs all day care. She doesn't, they don't know whether she's still in there, so to speak. So she's treated like an invalid. She has to be bathed and fed and all of this, um, but she's still 
talked to and things like this um, as if she's still in there. And she has these kind of set routines, reminds me a little bit of the horror movie Brahms, which I know is not a fan favorite out there, but I love that movie. It's so hilarious to me. Uh, and it was scary the first time I saw it. In any case, she's sort of this, I don't want to say everyone in the house is postured to be like sitting ducks, but that is kind of how it is. That is kind of the picture that you get is that there's this mysteriousness around the injuries that the author developed after the car accident. Um, why is she paralyzed? What is her cognitive capacity? All of that. And so I think that does kind of set up for this doubt to be ever present in the novel. So Lowen gets invited to Jeremy and his wife's house. Um, goodness gracious. Uh, Lowen starts essentially cleaning and sweeping through the author's house. Um, and she is, or not the house, but the office. She's trying to find outlines and drafts and etc. regarding the last three books to see if there was anything that the author left behind that could help her in the process of getting herself into the characters. So she starts reading the books that she's never read before and, you know, kind of researching and getting a little more into the mind of the true author of this series. And she finds an autobiography from the author. The autobiography, however, is, is so dark and so awful. It is like one of those things where you are reading and you realize this person is a psychopath. Um, it's, it's just, I'm not going to go into detail describing the horrible things that are in, within this autobiography. Um, needless to say, there's, you know, uh, murder attempts on her newborn babies and, you know, um, just, just crazy things. Just, like, really unseemly descriptions. And so this author, essentially, is writing about her life and sort of putting this awful perspective and awful light on everything and making every like sort of hallmark event that someone would normally cherish and be so grateful for um, and putting every hallmark event in this twisted way um, where she is suddenly the victim and Jeremy doesn't love her as much as the kids. It's, it's, it's like a love story about Jeremy. There's like a lot of um, raunchy sexual acts involved in this narrative, like alongside the murder attempts to her babies and things like this. So it's a, it's a really disturbing manuscript, okay? So Lowen is staying. She's hiding the manuscript from everyone, of course, because she's not sure what's going on. Um, so she's hiding the manuscript. She is, you know, tr trying to go about her day, but she's working around Verity, who's the true author. You know, and, and Verity's like watching her, turning her head. You know, and Lowen is seeing these things and thinking, well, that's not possible. She's an invalid. 
you know, blah, 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 what I'm seeing is not true. But the more evidence, you know, you get along in the book, the more you realize that Lowen is the one who's seeing the truth or perhaps going crazy, but no one else wants to believe her or believes her. So that's, that's the tough part about this book. It's extremely psychological, um, which is why it's perfect for this series. Um, and she gets along, I would say again, like the inner text, this sort of like inner frame of the book, if you will, is a hallmark feature of this book. It's just so characteristic of this book. Um, and it's really well done the way that um, the author shifts from outer frame to inner frame. Um, I love that she's able to write so much of the inner frame within this book. Um, because usually like the outer frame, I mean, it depends on the book, right? If it's, if it's Frankenstein, the outer frame is like two tiny tidbits on the other end of the book. But there's kind of like, almost like the sense that the outer frame is dominant. And yet the inner frame takes over for so much of the book. And I love that. I love that balance. I love that really creative take on narration, which I think is really important to this book is that there's, you know, Lowen on the one hand experiencing kind of these psychotic episodes, if you will. And then on the other, there's this actual psychopath <laughs> who we're dealing with here. Um, so I will give my spoilers now. Um, and this is, has to do with the twist at the end of the book. All right, so there's this huge romance between Jeremy and Lowen, which I'm gonna breeze over because that's irrelevant to the psychological thriller aspect, <laughs> um, at least at least in the in the larger sense. Um, and Lowen and Jeremy get involved longer term. Um, Lowen realizes that Verity is actually still in there, and she is still kicking. She is rummaging around at night, um, looking for something, disturbing something. She has like knives and other things that she hides in the floor, all of this crazy stuff. Um, and she is very much like, well, she's not an invalid. She's just acting. Um, and so of course, you know, Lowen goes to Jeremy. She brings him the narrative, she brings him the autobiography, and it turns out that Jeremy, um, you know, obviously gets very upset, and he goes and he murders his wife. He murders the, the Verity um, that we kind of realize is still very much alive and capable. Interestingly, when they they move out of the house after that they take the little boy with them and everything um interestingly they come back to the house lowen is pregnant no surprise and she goes back up the stairs you know to the room that verity was kept in her sort of nursing room she goes underneath the floor where verity has been hiding the knife and she finds a letter Within the letter is this message that basically says, the narrative that I wrote was a writing exercise so that I could get better at telling my fictional books from a, uh, from a villain's perspective. 
So she basically says, I took every one of the life hallmarks that I cherished and I wrote them into kind of the evil me, the view of evil me. So essentially she's saying, I'm not actually a psychopath. I did this as a writing exercise and I was gonna publish it as such, as a writing exercise to teach young writers how to write from malevolent points of view. Um, so Lowen is reading this like, oh, um, she sort of goes, Verity, that is in the letter, goes into more details saying, you know, basically after Jeremy found the manuscript the first time, he turned murderous. He was the one who caused the car accident and his plan sort of didn't work in killing her or even paralyzing her for that matter. Um, in the manuscript, she kind of says that she murdered their second daughter, uh, which is, you know, she admits is going too far. Um, and she says, you know, look, I still love you, but I'm gonna take our son and I'm gonna go because I know that you wanna murder me. I'm just waiting to get the funds. I'm waiting to get the um, resources to be able to go. So, you know, interestingly, there's this kind of other side to it where you don't know whose truth to believe anymore. Is Verity's truth in the letter more sacred or more important than the truth in her narrative? You know, and it's sort of this like question of like speech and the power of speech as well. Um, but regarding the twist, often I've read that a twist, a good twist, is a hallmark of psychological thrillers. Um, you know, for example, there's a movie that just came out called Don't Worry Darling. I saw the German dub version, but I thought it was fantastic. I was so, um, my skin was so prickled after that movie. It, it really hit me deep. Um, I know there's been a lot of conflicting reviews about it. I liked it. I would recommend you see it. It's a really poignant social commentary um especially on women's rights which i think is um i think it was just well done i'm not going to even say anything about the social commentary i just think the movie was well done and it got to the point um so yeah this this kind of twist element that was definitely in don't worry darling um but there's this kind of like horror at the end or like Oh, disgust almost when Lowen decides not to share the letter with anyone and she just goes back to her life with Jeremy and with her new adoptive child and there's just kind of this question of how could you live with that reality or that possibility of a reality that you both murdered this person who potentially had done nothing wrong you know, and that's that's the horror part of it for me is that you know, even after I was done reading the book, I realized, you know, wow, you know, the implications that these characters were dealing with, at least the implications that Lowen was dealing with after the fact, are so heavy and so traumatic. Um, and that that again makes me like jittery even thinking about it. This book was so well done. So let's talk about character. I thought 
felt that the character development on it honestly was a bit shallow of course with the twists there's some like you know secondary development there at the end with jeremy being the one driving verity into a tree and everything um lowen's main sort of issue with herself is that she sleepwalks she slept she was sleepwalking when she was little she ended up breaking her arm in her sleep um and her mom thought that there is some sort of like possession element involved or that she was cursed or something so you know sleepwalking led her to being neglected as a child and so she kind of thinks that the sleepwalking is a bigger thing than it is and jeremy helps her sort of realize that which closens their connection um so i'm not saying that like the implications of the sleepwalking and the developments behind after the fact you know after she breaks her arm and everything are are minimal i'm saying that they're they are important to sort of the development and understanding of her character but i did think i was like of all the flaws sleepwalking you know what i mean like it, it there is more to it than that but it it felt a little shallow to me i'll be honest and it's all about verity in the end like this book is called verity right this entire narrative is about verity and i think if that was you know hoover's goal in this then she accomplished it really well because it was it this even the outer frame right which lowen narrates beautifully it's all about verity verity's kind of constantly either in the foreground or the background you know even like some of the romantic things that lowen and um jeremy get up to verity's in the background verity shows up verity's kind of voices in her head or whatever um and that's the thing that is so masterful about this book is that Verity's present is so presence is almost so omnipotent throughout it. Um, and that's something that I found to be really effective. But I will say some of the other character development, in my opinion, struggles and is a little bit malnourished because of that. With regard to the romance. All I'm gonna say, this is a really romantic book. At some points it reads like fanfiction, not like badly written fanfiction or anything like that. Like it just reads like a romance book, to be honest. Um, you can take it or leave it. Um, I was neutral about it. I thought it was a really great thriller and there were lighter moments with the romance in it. So I thought, you know, why not? I don't think it, like, I don't think it took away from the narrative. Uh, and I think, depending on your own background, you would have to decide for yourself whether it adds to it. I'm not gonna comment on it, as I said. But yeah, I'll talk about the message of this book, lastly. The message that this book um, delivers to me is very powerful. Um, it talks a lot about, you know, the power of writing and the impact of a good writer on your sort of consciousness and your psyche and your emotional reactions, your, your ability to act instead of react, right? Because I think the, the big differentiator here, you know, is that Jeremy was unable to act, he sort of reacted in this very negative way every time this narrative was brought up, this manuscript was brought up. 
and I thought that was a really powerful message like as cheesy as it is quote unquote like I I understand that it's not the most like deep or complicated message out there but I still think it's really important like the pen is mightier than the sword you know I also again am a sucker for books with books in them like <laughs> any sort of outer frame that's why I liked misery so much I think misery by Stephen King we reviewed that in horrifying classics a few years ago that was also really masterfully done and for me it's all about the transition between the frames and how like the subtle changes in that transition can really affect things like the pacing things like the character development um you know and this is kind of like in misery it's about a writer and you're reading the book as he's writing it and he's kind of trapped in this situation so the outer frame is his like monstrous nightmare and the inner frame is the world that he's able to control and create whereas in this book um there's kind of chaos on both sides um that's something that i really enjoyed is that there's this like horrifying <laughs> memoir that we're reading alongside lowen but lowen slowly loses the self-control <laughs> to be able to stop herself from reading the memoir as disastrous as it is so maybe there is some characterization there after all. <laughs> but um, that's that was my favorite thing about the book is that the, the transitions between uh, the frame narrations were really interesting to track. I found that you know both narratives worked so well together. And I love the balance of them again, how the inner frame was not overpowering the outer frame or vice versa. It was kind of this unexpected mix at times. So overall, honestly, if there is any book that I could recommend to you in this Horrifying Classics 2022 series, I would recommend that you read Verity by Colleen Hoover. I uh, immensely enjoyed the read. I thought it was a psychological thriller that taught me a lot about the genre of psychological thrillers. Uh, and again, be forewarned about the twist, about the very disturbing imagery in the book, be forewarned about the romance in the book because it is very raunchy. But, you know, all of that said, I really enjoyed this book. And again, I really learned a lot from it. So I would recommend it to you all. I hope you have a wonderful spooky season to wrap up here. And I will see you next week with The Guest List by Lucy Foley. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to hear more from us, we've done everything from Shakespeare to Dracula. There really is a show and a series for everyone, so I'd recommend checking out our website at relevanceofliterature.com under the ongoing series tab for links to our entire back catalog of episodes, as well as any current goings-on of our show. If you are looking for even more content, we also have a Patreon page at patreon.com relevanceofliterature. Thank you so much for your support, and we'll see you next time.